In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Two weeks ago, we talked about baptism as we talked about the baptism of Jesus and why he was baptized for us in our place, giving us the gift of baptism, instituting it himself through his baptism. Then last week, we talked about the Lord's Supper, how the night he was betrayed in his last will and testament, he left us his very body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, promising to be with us until he returns. And also thereafter. Today we look at yet another sacrament. Lutherans properly don't have a, a real theology of sacraments. And we properly don't number sacraments because sacraments are a mystery. That's what sacraments mean. And of course, so we know we have two, at least. We've got baptism and the Lord's Supper. But then our confessions also talk about the office of the keys, confession and absolution as a sacrament. It was instituted by Christ, and we are told that through it is given the forgiveness of sins. So we have here in John 20, we find that Jesus has come to the ten apostles in the upper room, Judas having killed himself and I don't know, Thomas is off doubting somewhere else right now. No one knows where he is at this point. Of course, we know Jesus appears again because Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it until I touch him myself and put my hands in his side and so forth. And of course, Jesus obliges him later on also. But Jesus had been crucified. And the, the ten apostles are up in the upper room where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And they're hiding because, well, they just crucified Jesus and we're obviously next. So we're a little afraid here. So they're hiding out. And all of a sudden, even though the doors are locked and the windows are shut, Jesus is standing there in their midst. Not a ghost. But flesh and blood Jesus. And what's the first thing that he said? Boo! Gotcha! No, he didn't. Jesus comes and he says, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. These are some of the most powerful words ever spoken. They're words of grace, words of forgiveness. Words of reconciliation, peace be with you. You see, except for John, all the rest of them had fled. They ran away when Jesus was arrested. They went into hiding. They were afraid for their own well-being. Peter, who said, oh, I'll never deny you, Lord. Not me, huh-uh, not going to happen. Jesus told him, you'll do it three times before the cock crows. And so he did. And he wept bitterly, wept, wept bitterly. So Jesus comes into the upper room and he doesn't say, you wimps, you cowards, how dare you? No, he says, peace be with you. It means there's nothing between us. We're at peace with each other. It's Christianese for you're my brother or sister. We're equally forgiven because we're also equally sinful. So who am I to hold anything against you when I have been forgiven so much? Oh, but that person said such hurtful things, Pastor. You don't know what they said to me. 
How have you sinned against God? And yet he says to you, peace be with you. Sometimes when we leave church, I say to you, peace be with you, because I want you to be left with grace. I want you to leave with assurance of salvation. When I do that, it's the most simple way that I administer the office of the keys. That office that is called to proclaim the forgiveness and mercy of Christ to sinners. Not that Craig D'Onofrio is anything special. He's a big goofball. We all know that. But Pastor D'Onofrio, when he speaks from his office, then he speaks on behalf of God to you with God's permission. And it's such a blessing to know that this is how Jesus greets us with his peace. He doesn't come with an accusing finger saying, I know what you've been up to. I know what you've been thinking. Instead, he comes and he says, peace be with you. And after the disciples peel themselves up off the floor because their dead friend had come back to life, he says it again. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. The Father sent Jesus into this world to forgive the sins of the world. This is how the Father sent him. And so he calls pastors in this sending, this apostling. That's what apostle means, is one who's sent. And he sends them with forgiveness and mercy. And he invests in them his authority, his promise, his permission, not power, but permission to speak on his behalf. And so he breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. In this one meeting, Jesus institutes the holy ministry as we understand it. He passes on his authority, exousia in the Greek, to forgive sins. In his name and in his stead. Who are the sent ones that the church calls to be their pastors? The Lord sends from, far, from the far corners of the world as servants of the Most High. He sends pastors from California to Missouri and from Missouri to Cleveland and all stops in between. He calls these men to do what they are sent to do, what he sent those first apostles to do, to forgive sins, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins to the world, to a lost and fallen, dark, confused world. But how can we forgive sins if there are no sins as our culture would insist? The greatest sin in our world today is to say that there's sin. We know the words of John 1, 8 through 9, as we read this morning. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness goes on in verse 10 also to tell us that if we say we have no sins, we call God a liar. Confession must be made for there to be a forgiveness and absolution. We confess corporately in the church every Sunday. 
But pastors are also available for private confession and absolution. It sounds Roman Catholic, doesn't it? But Luther says this practice should never go away. If you are weighed down by any sin, you can bring them and we can put them on Christ together and you can move forward. On the other hand, unfaithful pastors who don't proclaim the forgiveness of sins, this is where this retaining of sins comes in. If I don't tell you that Christ died for that sin too, and that he's forgiven you, then I'm not doing my job. I am retaining your sins. But then again, also, you retain your own sins by having those sins that you want to keep for yourself, by having those sins that you don't want forgiven. Oh, I've been so hurt, Pastor. You don't know what that person did to me. I'm so wounded. Have you not wounded Christ in every way possible? And yet he says, peace be with you. Why would we ever withhold that peace from that other person? We who have been forgiven much, forgive much. And if you're struggling with a lack of forgiveness, confess that too, for that is a sin. But we have our little precious sins that we want to hang on to. Oh, no, not that one. I don't want to get rid of that one. That one's too fun. Or that one makes me feel better. Or that one makes me feel superior to someone else. We refuse to have sins forgiven. Jesus won't force you to be forgiven. Does this mean that we have to stop sinning altogether so that we can then have God's good pleasure? If you find a way how to do that, please tell me how. I sure would like to stop sinning too. And yet that evil that I hate, I keep doing, and the good that I want to do, I don't do, says St. Paul in Romans 7, and so says Craig D'Onofrio in this pulpit. I need a Savior. Own up to your sins. Call a thing what it is. Take responsibility for your own actions and thoughts. Own them. They're yours. This is what we're told in our first John text about the light. Living in the light doesn't mean that you're perfectly sinless and you stop doing anything bad. Living in the light simply means that the light is being shown on all of your sin and you confess it to be what it is and you say, yes, it's true. Satan, you can, you can accuse me all day long. You can point your finger at me and tell me that I don't deserve the grace of God and you're absolutely right. But I am a baptized child of the living God and you have nothing to say to me. Because I confess my sins to be what they are, sins. But I confess even more boldly my Savior, Jesus Christ. Own them. But then give them up to Jesus. Confess sins to be what they are, sins. And I need a Savior. I've failed God once again. I'm not righteous. Again and again we fall back into the pit. That hurt, that anger that that other person did to us, that all of this. Every day, sometimes we have to give it up over and over and over again. Till on the last day, it will be remembered no more. This is why you have a pastor. One who is the chief of sinners in your midst. 
but an ambassador of Christ. By the virtue of the office to which I am called, I'm here to speak on behalf of my Savior. From his embassy, with all of his authority, not from a crazy foreign land called California, but from a foreign land called the kingdom of God. And he's not an angry God. But he's the one and only true God who loves you so much that he took all of your sins onto himself and laid up his life in your stead. I speak to you on behalf of the son who rose from the dead, who through his church gave me permission to tell you your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. This is what we know is the office of the keys. Permission. Permission to tell you these things. In closing, I'd like to read what uh, Pastor Luther wrote about confession and absolution in the small catechism. He says, what is confession? Confession consists of two parts. One that we confess our sins. The other is that we receive absolution or forgiveness from the confessor as from God himself. By no means doubting, but firmly believing that our sins are thereby forgiven before Christ in heaven. What sin should we confess? Before God, we should acknowledge that we are guilty of all manner of sins, even those of which we are not aware, as we do in the Lord's Prayer. Before the confessor, however, we should confess only those sins of which we have knowledge and which trouble us. But are such sins? Reflect on your condition in light of the Ten Commandments, whether you are a father or mother, a son or daughter, a master or servant, whether you have been disobedient, unfaithful, lazy, ill-tempered or quarrelsome, whether you have harmed anyone by word or deed, and whether you have stolen, neglected or wasted anything or done other evil. I add to you that the pastor speaks the words of forgiveness back to contrite hearts, and he gives them comfort and the consolation of Scripture and the gospel. The pastor takes all sins divulged to him to the grave, lest he be defrocked and shamed. I am in the name of Jesus, in the place of Jesus, in the stead of Jesus, to cast those sins as far away from you as the east is from the west, and to remember them no more. I confess to you at the beginning of church that I'm dumb as a bag of rocks and I have a terrible memory. It works out really well as a confessor. Just as an aside, I go to other pastors to confess my sins too, because I am one of you. Private confession and absolution is available. You can call at any time. There's a small liturgy in your hymnal. You can look it over. And if anything weighs you down, together we can give them over to Christ. And you can be told once again, Christ died for that one too. You can leave feeling washed and clean. And at least for a little while, you may be rid of that thing until it rears its ugly head again. Who knows? But our Lord is a Lord of forgiveness and reconciliation. 
All praise to his holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.